Welcome to Paychecks Thrive, a business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey everybody, this is Gene Marks, and thanks for joining me on another episode of Paychecks Thrive. I'm here with Senator Ron Johnson, a Republican from Wisconsin. Senator Johnson, thank you so much for joining me. Well, Gene, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, you've got a busy schedule, and uh, in preparing for this interview, there's just a mountain of stuff that you're working on that really do impact small businesses, both in Wisconsin and around the country. So let's go through some of these things and get your thoughts um, on that. The the most recent um, really just happened very about a, about a week or so ago, um, you introduced what's called the Guidance Out of Darkness or Good Act. Um, you and 14 other Republican colleagues um, introduced this. You've done this before. Um, tell us a little bit about this act and what it's designed to do. Sure. Well, I'm not a big fan of government. I'm just not. Uh, we need some, but it needs to be way more limited than it is. So Government can have an enormous impact on our economy, on individual businesses, on on people's lives. Uh, One of the ways they had that impact, obviously, is, you know, Congress passes laws. Uh, Then the the, uh, bureaucracy, the the executive branch, will take those laws and they'll issue regulations and rules. And one of the things they've been doing in addition to that are, are, are issuing guidances. Right. And the issue guidance is because it somewhat gets a, around the Administrative Procedure Act, which requires, you know, the, the, the rules and regulations to be published and uh, open for uh, comment by by the public before they can be implemented. Uh, guidance doesn't doesn't have to go through that process. So uh, we've seen an explosion in guidances to circumvent the Administrative Procedure Act, and oftentimes the. the the, the regulators, the bureaucracies, the agencies, they don't even publish the guidance. Mm. So this is a pretty simple bill. When I was chairman of the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, uh, it really falls under the governmental affairs part of that committee. Uh, we passed this, I think, a couple times out of our committee, unanimously, I believe. Um, again, who could oppose this? This is just asking these agencies, if you issue a guidance, publish the guidance. If you withdraw a guidance, Make sure people realize that that guidance is no longer in force. It's just just transparency of government. Uh, Businesses, individuals need to know what the rules are, what the laws are, what the guidances are, uh, so they can do everything they can to comply with them. But that's part of the problem. We've got, uh, this is when I first came to to Congress, so there were a number of studies, the Small Business Administration, uh, Competitive Enterprise Institute, put put the cost of complying with government regulations back then at $2 trillion. I really, it seems like everybody keeps using that $2 trillion, but it seems like every administration adds a couple hundred billion dollars more. So uh, I don't think, you know, necessarily these regulations are replacing other ones. So I think it's a, a much larger number than even the $2 trillion. And think about that, Gene. You know, our economy isn't thirty trillion dollars; it's twenty some trillion dollars large. So, the cost of complying with government regulations, federal government regulations, are close to ten percent of our economy. That's onerous. That has a real harmful effect on on our economy. So, just to make sure that I understand how this would impact me and my clients and and our listeners and viewers. Um, if an agency, say you're in the ag business, you know, and and there are specific, you know, uh, you know, rules that come out from the Department of Agriculture, and the Department of Agriculture might have some guidance to comply with those regulations. What you're saying is, right now, like that guidance is not very easily found. 
So if you, to, to make sure that you're in compliance, first of all, you have to know that it, it exists. And then you've got to like dig and ask to find where that guidance is and what this act would do would to require these agencies to publish this guidance in, in easily accessible public places. Does that, did I describe that correctly? Yeah, quite honestly, right now, they don't even have to publish the guidances. So they, they may have something laying on their desk and saying, well, here's here's my secret little rule here that, uh, oh, you, you, you didn't follow this. Well, I didn't even know about it. So again, this is just about uh, transparency in government. Okay, I got it. You know, I asked before we went on the air to, to not be partisan because we're just trying to give the facts to our business owners. But I got to ask only because... And I'll ask you to just answer this with, you know, tongue in cheek, but you know, it's 14 Republicans sponsored this. Um, I just, I don't, I don't understand why something like this also wouldn't be co-sponsored by Democrats and make this a, a bipartisan thing. So just keeping things in check, why, why would that not be? Is it just straight out politics that just because these 14 Republicans sponsored it, we're just not going to get on board. Or is there another, you know, is there opposition to something like this, you know? Uh, there, I don't believe there was in my committee when we passed it out of that with the strong bipartisan support. I, th I think probably unanimously because when you're actually sitting around a table and, and discussing this in a business meeting for a committee, yeah. I mean, who, who would argue against it? Uh, but you know, once it comes to potentially getting on the floor of the Senate and you've got a Democrat administration, yeah. you've got Democrat members of, of Congress that line up you know, around their guy around their president. And, you know, in that case, all of a sudden, a Democrat president can do no wrong. So any regulation, any rule, any guidance issued by their bureaucracy, uh, you shouldn't even be questioned. So again, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, we'll press for like a real vote on this. If, if we would actually get this as a real vote in, a, in an open amendment process, which is rare to basically, they don't exist anymore. Uh, it'd be, I think, very difficult for Democrat senators to to vote against this. All right, fair enough, and good answer. Um, okay, let's keep moving on. Uh, there are some other issues that impact small businesses that you've got thoughts on. Back in December, um, you um, you urged the Department of Labor to protect uh, their independent contractor classification. We are all expecting this year. By the way, this is a Paychex podcast, so. You know, they're, they're a payroll company. It's an HR-related company. So a lot of the people uh, that are their customers, are they're impacted by uh, worker classification rules. And we're expecting in, in this year uh, for new rulings to come out, which could really, you know, you know force a lot of small businesses to, uh, you know, reclassify some of their independent contractors as employees um, if they're considered to be integral to a business. And I know that a lot of small businesses are, don't want to do that. I know a lot of freelancers don't want to do that as well. But I'll throw it out to you. You were also urging the Department of Labor, um, you know, not to go forward with this. Give, give me your thoughts on the independent contractor uh, ruling that they're looking at doing. This is an issue of freedom. So if you've got somebody operating a business that uh, uh, says they want to be an independent contractor, they don't want to be an employee of a particular business. In other words, they're the ones voluntarily saying, I'm not going to be uh, under their payroll system. I'm not going to get an employer contribution you know, half of the payroll tax, uh, I'll, I'll take care of my own retirement. Uh, let that individual uh, operate as an independent contractor. Again, within within certain rules, I mean, some people are obviously employees, uh, but if, so if the employer doesn't want to recognize that individual as an employee, the, the, the actual individual business, the independent contractor doesn't want to be recognized, let them proceed that way. Again, all, all this is, is is a way to increase tax revenue. It's a, a way to impose more government regulations on a, on a 
what should be a, an arm's length transaction action between one business and another. Uh, again, it's, it's just, you know, antithetical to freedom. Uh, if that ruling does, uh, you know, happen, which we're all expecting it to happen, um, is there anything really that Congress can do about it or will it just have to go to the courts? Well, we can certainly pass a congressional review act, um, and we may be able to get that passed in the Senate and in the House, uh, but but we just did that under the old ESG rule as well, and President Biden vetoed it. And I doubt we'd be able to pass a Congressional Review Act uh, disapproval resolution of, of that regulation uh, with a veto-proof majority. So it'll it'll probably you know if if he insists on uh, promulgating that uh, and implementing that regulation, it'll be implemented. But uh, the next administration can overturn it. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Okay, let's move on. Uh, the IRS commissioner. Um, there's a new commissioner that's up to be, uh, you know, to be uh, uh, qualified. His name is Daniel Werfel, and um, you are not a fan. Uh, tell us, um, tell us why that you would be voting against uh, this new IRS commissioner. Well, first of all, it was nothing personal. I think I think Danny Werfel comes from the private sector. Uh, certainly in my private meeting, as well as in the hearings, we, we talked about uh, the imperative for the, the IRS to upgrade its uh, uh, its uh, IT, uh, its computer systems. Yep. Uh, he might be pretty capable of doing that. Uh, but my, my vote, my no vote was really just a, you know, a no confidence vote in terms of what this administration wants to do with the IRS, uh, dramatically increase uh, audits. And, and again, they'll say only on, on the wealthy. I mean, there aren't that many wealthy people here. Uh, what, what they're contemplating, the, you know, the $80 billion additional funding, you know, the 87,000 new IRS agents, which I realize some of those are replacing retirees and that type of thing. But again, the focus is on, you know, far greater uh, enforcement, uh, far greater to audits. Um, and and I'm, I'm just opposed to that. What we ought to be doing, I told him in the hearings, we ought to be simplifying and rationalizing our tax system so it's easier to comply with. Uh, lower the rates, get rid of all the all the loopholes. Again, I, I hate to socially or economically engineer through the tax code. Our, our tax code should be there to raise the revenue government needs and do no further harm. Uh, and so all, all these, uh, you know, tax credits for this and, you know, this, that, and the other thing, uh, maybe all sounds wonderful, uh, but there are always unintended consequences. Uh, one of the things we were talking about was the, the, the low-income uh, housing tax credit. Right. Uh, in Milwaukee, they've got a program called the ACTS program. It's A-C-T-S. It was started by a, by a Catholic priest. And th they had the opportunity to purchase these houses that were in foreclosure. You know, well-built homes back in the 20s and 30s. They were able to buy them for a couple thousand dollars working with private banks. They, they made loans of fifteen dollars to $30,000. And with sweat equity, people could buy those homes, uh, improve them with those home improvement loans, and, and turn their let's say $800 rental payment into $300 uh, mortgage payment, you know, dramatically decrease their housing costs. But what ended up happening is the low income housing tax credit uh, given to developers. All of a sudden there's a great deal of demand on the part of developers. They, they drove up the price of those houses and it made it much more difficult for that very common sense program to work. Again, I, I understand, I understand the need for low income housing, uh, and so it all sounds good to have this low-income uh, housing tax credit, but Congress doesn't look in the rearview mirror very often. It, it doesn't take a look at the harm its well-intentioned laws do. You know, you—I'm uh, not sure if you're aware of this, but I'm, I am a, a certified public accountant, and 
uh, the complexity in the tax code uh, for myself and my colleagues to deal with, uh, it turns us into form fillers and less as advisors. So, you know, the easier it is to, you know, comply with the rules or the easier the rules are, uh, the more value add that we can be to our clients. But we spend a lot of time really, um, really doing paperwork than anything else. In the hearing, and I got fact checked on this, you know, <laughs> kind of off the top of my head, I hadn't seen uh, these, you know, studies or reports for a number of years, but yeah. I just remembered reading about, uh, you know, a study where they would send the same tax information to 10 different tax CPAs. And they would get 10 different answers. answers, yeah. Okay. And then I got fact-checked on that. And, I, you know, okay, I, I read it quite a few years ago. I'm not sure whether our, my comms team ever uh, sent that back in. But you know, it's just true. I mean, the, the tax code is so complex. You know, so the, the answer the IRS derives is different than, you know, individual tax experts can derive. And, and of course, individual taxpayers, they don't have a chance. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a CPA, but I'm an accountant. My, my wife is an IRS agent. We don't do our own taxes. We, right. we couldn't even begin to do our own taxes. It, it would be impossible because, you know, we, we have different types of assets. We, we've, you know, been an LLC and a subchapter S and it's just, it becomes so complex so fast. I mean, you got to rely on tax experts, but those tax experts are, you know, really, they're, they're at the whims of the IRS as well. Agreed. Agreed. And and one final thing on taxes, you also spoke back in February about the uh, the IRS Accountability Act, which you it, it was an act that you introduced with again some Republican you know allies of yours. Uh, and I guess this gets back to what we were just talking about before that you know if the IRS is going to be getting eighty some billion dollars to spend, uh, the idea is that you know there's got to be some measure of accounting for how they're spending their money. Correct. Yeah, accountability, transparency. I mean, you know these. Uh, people come up for Senate confirmation, always come before committees, and they're often asked the question under oath, you know, will you agree to comply with congressional oversight? And they all raise their hands, say absolutely, and then they don't. Yeah. Uh, th there's two ways for the American public to obtain transparency in government. One was is through the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, shouldn't have to sue agencies to get the, the documents, but oftentimes it requires a, a court order. And then through congressional oversight. But, but over the decades, the administration has realized that there's very little enforcement power for that. Uh, they can turn over documents. I, I just was with Secretary Becerra, the HHS secretary today. I showed him the last 50 pages uh, that uh, was released under FOIA that uh, they're showing us these things in camera. Uh, we can't take uh, copies. We can take notes. Out of 400 pages, they've allowed us to re review 350. We're down to the last 50. And I just thumbed through the remaining 50 pages completely blacked out. Um, so, so there's not much transparency in government. Uh, I wouldn't expect the IRS to be any more transparent than any of these other agencies. So they, they've all learned that we just don't have very strong enforcement powers. It requires, it literally requires public pressure. All right. I know we're, we're, we're short on time and I got two more questions. I want to just, or two more issues. I just want to get your thoughts on as well. Um, you also, you know, introduced um, what's called the Prevent Government Shutdowns Act. This was back in January. Uh, no one's talking about it now because as we're recording this, people are talking about interest rates and uh, obviously Ukraine and, you know, all, all other issues going on. But, you know, we're, we're heading towards a government shutdown sometime mid-year. And this act is designed to prevent that from happening. Tell us a little bit more about it. Sure, it's very common sense. As Chairman Homeland Security, uh, I got to select which bill I was going to try and pass for our committee. And I selected James Langford, ha Maggie Hassan's as a bipartisan bill. Mm -hmm. Plus, it does exactly what Wisconsin law does. If, if there's such dysfunction that you, you don't pass an appropriation for either a department or for the entire government, 
you don't shut that department or government down. You just spent it last year's level. I mean, how more common sense can that be? Uh, but I passed that a number of times uh, with strong bipartisan support out of our committee. It never got a legitimate vote on the floor of the Senate because for some reason, appropriators don't like it. Hmm. it it's kind of an automatic CR. CRs are not good. It's not. It's a horrible way to fund government, but that's how we do it all the time. You know, we, we don't bring up individual appropriation bills. We, we don't go through that debate. We don't offer amendments. Uh, we wait till the end of the fiscal year. Then we start doing continuing resolutions for three or four months until you've got some kind of deadline like Christmas Eve, where all of a sudden you get a couple thousand page bill dumped on all our desks. And you just have to vote yes or no uh, within a couple hours. Uh, so the, the dysfunction here is profound. Uh, that bill, the Preventing Government Shutdown Act, is meant to restore some function, some rationality. Again, it would it'd eliminate government shutdowns. We'd never have another one. It's just an automatic uh, continuing resolution, basically. And another really good act would be the No Default Act, or what's also termed the Full Faith and Credit. Don't never default on our debt. Mm -hmm. By the way, we, we never would. Mm -hmm. Constitutionally, we can't. Mm -hmm. We have more than enough... Uh, revenue coming in to service our debt and pay for Social Security and Medicare and most of government. Last year, we $4.9 trillion worth of revenue. Prior to the pandemic, the federal government spent $4.4 trillion. So, you know, obviously, we went on the spending spree, you know, just wasted trillions of dollars during the pandemic. You know, but it's over. Right. So why don't we return to some kind of baseline? Had we done that? If we just grown 2019 spending by inflation and the rate of population growth, Last year, we would have spent $5.1 trillion compared to $4.9 trillion of revenue. That's how tantalizingly close we were to a balanced budget if we had some fiscal and spending discipline, but we have none. Instead, President Biden is uh, proposing spending $6.9 trillion next year. We'll spend about $6.3 trillion this year. Again, compared to $4.4 trillion prior to the pandemic. It makes no sense. And one thing I love, Rick Scott compared that to population growth. Mm -hmm. our, our population since 2019 has grown, depending on how you look at it, 1.8 to 2.5%. Mm -hmm. Spending is being proposed to increase 55%. Now, again, you, you know, from the private sector, you would never consider doing that in a private, in a private company. You know, your, your managers would be crawling all over you. Your, your bosses would be crawling all over you if, if you know, your basically customer base went up two percent, and you were saying you're going, you were saying you're going to spend another fifty-five percent. It is absurd in the private sector. It should be absurd in government, but unfortunately, it's business as usual here in government. What, uh, what concerns my clients the most? I know a lot of our listeners and readers, Senator Johnson, is that with all of the significant spending, which increased our national debt so much. Uh, which increases the amount of interest that has to be paid on the national debt. With interest rates rising, interest payments go up even further. Uh, and it's got to come from somewhere. And where that's going to come from has to be, you're not going to, government is going to cut spending and government's not going to, uh, you know, raise taxes or at least not try to. Uh, it, 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 if they can't do either one of those two things, it's got to come from pretty more money, which creates more inflation, which is a huge, huge problem for people that are in the private sector. And I'm curious what you think about that. I mean, where, where can it end? Well, it, it, it's going to end with probably a debt crisis. A dollar you held at the start of the Biden administration today is worth 87 cents. That, that's the devastation of, of inflation caused, or I mean, hmm. inflation caused by massive deficit spending, uh, the war on fossil fuel, uh, the, the supply chain disruptions because of the pandemic. Those right. are the three main causes. Right. Um, 
I mean, it's it's devastating. But you said you know, uh, tax increases. Taxes are going to automatically increase on ninety five percent of American businesses. I, you know, I'm the guy that said no. I I, I took all the all the ridicule, all the vilification uh, back in the twenty seventeen uh, tax reform when uh, Republicans all we were going to do was cut the corporate rate to twenty percent. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of my colleagues who never participated in the private sector didn't realize that that 20% tax rate for business only covered the C-Corps, only was for 5% of the businesses. So I'm the guy that noticed it right. and started screaming about it, you know, dug in my heels, uh, would not agree to vote yes, and they needed my vote. And as a result, we got, uh, in the end, we got a tax cut for the other 95% of American businesses, the pass-throughs, the subchapter S, LLCs, the problem is in order to get that, we had to go from 20% to 21%. Now, what we should have done is we should have gone up to 22% and made that permanent. Permanent, yeah. But they wouldn't do that. I mean, don't I, I can't explain why. You know, I, I dug my heels in, and then the powers to be, you know, they, they did the deal, and, you know, it's pretty much a fait accompli. Uh, but now that's going to expire in 2026. Yeah. Again, all we would have had to do is increase the corporate rate to 22%. By the way, you know, the whole point of tax reform was lower the rate and get rid of all the special deductions, right? Right. We didn't get rid of very many deductions. No. So the effective rate for corporations is way below the OECD average right now. We didn't have to go to 21, 21%. We, 22% would have been just fine. Right. Would have made this completely competitive. And we could have made all those tax cuts permanent, but we didn't do it. So again, I mean, here, here I'm being highly critical of Republican tax reform. I, I was not a fan. We, we had an opportunity to, to rationalize and simplify our tax code. We didn't do it. It's for, unfortunate. So now here we are with a Democrat administration, a Democrat to Senate. Uh, we're, we're, you know, they're just going to want to tax, increase taxes on the wealthy, and they can do it automatically. Senator Johnson, you're going to get your chance to uh, debate that again in 2025, um, assuming that you don't retire and go and play golf somewhere. <laughs> well, I got a, I got a six year sentence here. Fair uh, so I got reelected. And quite honestly, I gave up my seniority and my membership on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee to be on Senate Finance Good uh, for this moment, for, you know, for the fact that uh, uh, because I wasn't on Senate Finance. Uh, so, I, you know, it wasn't other than by saying no. I made myself a part of that and made sure that 95% of American businesses uh, got fair treatment. Um, so th this time I wanted to be in Senate finance as we start discussing this in terms of, you know, how, how do we handle this uh, automatic tax hike? Uh, we can't allow 95% of American businesses to be put at a distinct, I mean, a distinct competitive disadvantage. I, I think it's something like a 28% a rate differential. Yeah. If it goes back to uh, what it was, that, that's what it was back. I think it was 28%. It's a massive change. By the way, what will happen is those pass-through businesses will convert to C-Corp status. And so we, we will really lose a lot of revenue then. Yep. Because right now the, the pass-throughs are paying a higher tax rate, about seven or 8% higher than C-Corps. So kiss that goodbye. Yeah. But, but that's not the way any, any not the CBO, uh, you know, Joint Committee on Taxation, nobody scores reality that way you know they don't score what's actually going to happen they, they score based on a you know denying reality well you got plenty of work to do you need to get to work on that research and development tax deduction we got to uh make sure that gets uh deducted all in that one year instead of amortized you got to get to work on so uh, let, let me let me point that out as well because <laughs> so that's we, another we, issue we, my clients are we, talking we do, about we do, we do once in a lifetime 
tax reform, right? Yeah. And then, you know, the next piece of must-pass legislation we took up? The tax extender package. Right, of course. I mean, that, just show, that just shows the dysfunction and corruption, yeah. right? Yeah. It's because the R&D tax, everybody's got to keep coming to Washington, D.C. every year and go and begging for it, right? Yeah. It's like make, uh, it again, make it permanent. I'm not a fan already. of this place. Make it permanent already. And the same thing with the bonus depreciation thing as well. That's starting to decline. Just make it permanent. You know, well, so people, well, here, it creates so much uncertainty otherwise, you know? So here's my plan. I'll run this one by you. This Go got written up by the Wall Street Journal. I actually had Tim Kaine and Angus King speak favorably about it, write, write an article about it. But I called it a true Warren Buffett tax. What I would do in a perfect world, if I was king and I'm not, I would make every business of pastor entity i would tax all business income at the ownership level completely level playing field that's a um, and by the way i would do it based on cash income you know, your cpa I, yeah i always thought when i took my tax courses that a, a tax principle was wherewithal to pay sure and cash sure. income is wherewithal to pay hundred percent. You can't tax unrealizable gains. I mean, you can, but it's grotesquely unfair. Right. And so unconstitutional. <laughs> convert it to tax to cash income. Yeah. You don't have to worry about depreciation. I mean, if you spend money on on assets, that's cash out the door. Yeah. Okay. Now that makes uh, again, it, it, it all it all works out in the in the in the end. But converting a C corp like Amazon with you know tens of thousands of shareholders and then just taxing on their their percentage share of the company, they would get a share of that income. Would then it's, be it's very to easy to do. I've I've talked to the shareholder servicing companies. They say, Senator, we do things far more complex than that. Fair enough. So, it's, it's, so what you do is you do a backup the holding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you you assess the income, send out something like a W two or a K one. Yeah. Saying here's your share of income. Here's the you know let's say twenty five percent that's been withheld. So if you're a little lady in Oshkosh, you have a 10% tax rate with that notice, you can then claim a refund. Now, if you're Warren Buffett, you'll be putting a lot of pressure on corporations to pay out dividends so you can pay off your tax. That's what happens in the pass-through world, right? The, the companies, the pass-through companies have to issue a dividend right. to the shareholders. Again, it's a tax-free dividend. Yeah, it's a distribution, right? Yeah, it's a distribution. Right. So it, it would work. I, I talked to Warren Buffett about this. He put me in touch with his uh, shareholder services company. We talked it through with the representatives from the Joint Task Committee. This is entirely doable. I know it's it's paradigm shifting. I love it. I, so I love it. Positive I, aspects of this plan. And, and I know. And again, I'm just, I, I apologize because I know we're we're hit up on your time. But I just I, you know it is a really good plan and something that should be discussed. But how realistic is this? You know, I mean, like here you are proposing this. You've got people that are behind it. You know, at the highest of levels, but do you do you see that actually happening? Is that something that you would spend your time on? That kind of a paradigm shift, or I'm is spending, it? I am spending my time on it. I've I've, oh. I've hired a, a crack tax guy, worked for the IRS in the past. Through he's about ready to join our staff. I'm going to have him start working on all the complications here. I socialized this in 2017. Huh. Got some liberal economists in charge of it. I mean, you know, Senator Wyden wants to tax unrealizable gains. Well, this basically does the same thing. In the normal course of business, right? It it doesn't allow you know business income to to be retained by these companies. Completely distort the M and A market, by the way, as you have all this cash trapped in these C corps. It just gets taxed and, and reallocated more efficiently through the economy. There's so many benefits to doing this. Now I realize it's a paradigm shift. People have to to wrap their heads around it, but there there's so many positive aspects to this. And again, it kind of accomplishes what the Chairman Wyden wants to do, not, not the way he's contemplating it, but uh, I'm talking to him about it. I'm talking about to a ranking member Crapo about this. So 
Yeah, I'm pushing forward with this again. I, I talked to Warren Buffett. I, I don't think he ever complained about me calling it a true Warren Buffett tax. Um, so I'll keep working on it. That's that's how you got to do these things. You can you know never say never. I, I don't. I'm not going to admit defeat. No, of course not. And keep us posted on that. You've got a few years before this is really going to come to a head. And uh, I don't know. We'll be watching. Hey, um, Senator Ron Johnson, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a great conversation. Senator Ron Johnson is senator, a Republican senator from Wisconsin. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychex Incorporated 2023. All rights reserved.